This is Sports Radio 100.9, The Mix. You've waited patiently all day. All wait. They were patient. They didn't get rushed. But Great Lakes Bay region, we finally arrived at the payoff from high school. Whistling inside with a two-hand flush. To college. Just wait until March, bro. To the pros. And when they win, not if. When they win. We cover everything a Michigan sports fan could want. This is uncharted territory. And now, here they are. It's the Payoff. Happy New Year! Michigan Rose Bowl champions. That's how we start 2024. And when I tell you that game took time off my life, with confidence, I can say that was the greatest experience I've ever had watching a sporting event. From the initial flyover, the aerial shot, to the final play of the game in overtime. Hands down, without question, the best experience I've ever had watching not just a football game, really any, any sporting event. And that started right from the first play. J.J. McCarthy throws what we think is an interception, and all of a sudden, every Michigan fan watching just has flashbacks to two years ago in the playoffs against Georgia. The game where, from the very beginning, it felt like Michigan did not belong on the same field as the Bulldogs. Everyone got flashbacks. Thank God that play got turned over, because I I can't sit here and tell you Michigan would have won that game if that play doesn't get turned over. I can't tell you that it's not an Alabama blowout. If that first play ends up being a sick uh, a pick, but it doesn't, they get lucky from the first play to the very last. It was just an electric game. And when you look back at the box score, the first play for Bama on offense was even worse. It was a sack loss of five yards, Josiah Stewart. And, and that was really the story of the day for the Michigan Wolverines, the defense, which has been nasty all season long which is why it's so fitting that it came down to the last play on defense to win that game and win the Rose Bowl. The anticipation of that final play. Alabama guy gets injured, official timeout, Michigan timeout, Alabama timeout. I don't think I took a breath for five minutes. Not once watching a football game have I ever had sweat dripping down my face until yesterday. Not once have I ever been shaking Before yesterday, I checked my heart rate. It was 115 BPM. That's ridiculous. (laughs) It was like I was going on a run. Fear, anger, disgust, confusion, dark thoughts, happy thoughts. We had it all. And for as much drama as the 2023 Michigan Wolverines have brought to the table, all the storylines we've talked about on this program, the sign stealing, the cheating, Jim Harbaugh claiming this is America's team, which continues to just be the funniest troll of the season. The Ohio State game, all of it. It's only fitting that the Rose Bowl was also just an emotional roller coaster from the first play of the game until the very last play of the game in overtime. And we're not going to sit here and talk about the scandals today. We're not going to sit here and talk about Jim Harbaugh's future today. Those are topics for a different show. But I will say this. None of that stuff mattered for... What, three and a half hours? There was no sign stealing. There was no film snatching. No illegal recruiting. That game was settled fair and square on the field. And Michigan was the better football team. And to do it against the legendary 
Nick Saban. Kudos to both those schools. That was top-tier entertainment. And by far the greatest experience I've ever had watching a football game, Brad. Incredible. Just an immaculate game. I know I enjoyed myself. Neutral observer. All my buddies who have tickets already to Houston. Uh, you have friends going to Houston? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I saw the ticket prices there. Well, well they have uh, donor tickets through families, whatnot. But they've booked their flights, their Airbnbs, their tickets, their random pricing for donor tickets. Uh, excited for them. And uh, I think it's going to be an absolute spectacle for those uh, Michigan fans that I think in general have yearned for this moment through all the eras of the last two decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, now getting to kind of fulfill the prophecy that is Jim Harbaugh and their highest rated quarterback recruit and J.J. McCarthy and all of it. For, for Jim Harbaugh specifically, which I think throughout the entire course of this season, obviously he's caught in a, a ton of heat for everything that's transpired through the course of the season. But to now finally get over that hump, because every Michigan fan can, can unite on this, there was a point in that game, whether it was the first play of the game, uh, the third quarter when Alabama, it felt like they were running downhill. There was a point where it was like, time's up. It's over. What Jim Harbaugh has built is about to collapse one more time, and this time there are zero excuses, zero reasons why they could have or shouldn't have won this game. But they, they turned it around. That third quarter was scary. Every Michigan fan will tell you that. No one's going to sit here and say that they thought that they were going to win this game the entire time. Everybody was nervous. But if you take a step back, and now that we're out of the experience of a lifetime watching the Rose Bowl, and you look back upon it, Michigan was the better team from the very beginning. It was the self-inflicted wounds that really hurt Michigan and the final score. That game never really should have went into overtime. It should have been 24 to 20. But you had some special teams issues, to say the least. Two muffed punts. A bad snap on a field goal attempt, a missed PAT, or a bad, bad snap on a PAT missed field goal. That game never should have gone into overtime. Take away, take away the, the muffed punts, and who knows what the score of that game is. Michigan was the better team. They had been all season long. Yeah, maybe Alabama had the more impressive win, beating Georgia, knocking them off to become SEC champions. But throughout the course of the season, the narrative that Michigan wasn't dominant, it was just ridiculous from the very beginning. This is the best defense in the country, and they showed six sacks they had on Jalen Milrow. That's Alabama's X factor, and they took that away. Alabama's offense looked lost. They don't have a superstar receiver like they have in years past. They don't have that superstar running back, the Heisman candidates that they've had go through that program. What they had is Jalen Milrow, who will probably walk into next season as the Heisman favorite, hands down. And they took him away, out of the equation in the first half. He couldn't handle the pressure. And I don't mean the pressure of the game. I mean the interior pressure Michigan was generating. Jesse Minterman, whew, Michigan defensive coordinator. Stock up for that guy. That guy's going to be in the NFL one day. The pressure he was causing, the blitzes he was dialing up, 
just top tier. And the fact that a Nick Saban team with this offensive line that was, what did they say, bigger than the average NFL offensive line, they didn't have an answer for how Michigan was getting to the quarterback. And it wasn't just from the edge. It wasn't just from one side. It was everywhere. It reminded me a lot about a, a lot of the Ravens game in Baltimore that the Lions had to, to go to Baltimore. And, and Mike McDonald just was dialing up this stuff that no one had any idea what to do on that offensive line for the Lions. Everyone was confused. That's what it felt like was happening. And Michigan, from the very beginning, just dominated on that side of the ball. Yeah, Alabama took a lead. Yeah, Jalen Milrow got his, his, his runs in, but he never broke one loose. No! And to do it against Nick Saban, oh, it, it's so sweet for the Michigan fans. That right there was top-tier entertainment. That right there was the game that the committee wanted. Thank God Florida State didn't make it. Oh, my gosh. You get blown out by Georgia, who's not even playing half of their guys. Come on. We wanted Alabama from the very beginning. Whether you're a Michigan fan or just a fan of the sport, what you want was that. The moment doesn't get bigger than that. And the fact that this time around they came out on top just makes it 100 times better for anyone that supports the, uh, the maize and blue. But I found it so funny. We posted it on Facebook before the game. Are Michigan State fans rooting for, for Michigan? <laughs> and it was like an overwhelming, uh, absolutely not. We're rooting for the tide. Um, but whoever you were supporting in this game, I think we can all agree that was one of the best football games any of us have ever seen. So I want to ask everyone, what emotions were running through your mind at the end of this game? Was this the greatest experience you ever had watching a sporting event? Because this emotional roller coaster, the sweaty hands, the, the sweat dripping down my face, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. 115 BPM for sitting on the couch is not something that should be achievable. So I ask everyone else, I want to hear other people's experiences watching this game. 989-837-6125. You guys can text in at the Frick Sports Bar text line. We still got a lot of stuff to talk about. More initial reactions from the Michigan-Alabama game. Let's go through some coaching grades, some player grades. And of course, a J.J. McCarthy conversation. And at the end, we got to work the Lions back into this thing. Oh, what happened to the Lions on Saturday was criminal. You're listening to The Payoff. We'll get to it all. Fueled by Forward Energy. Back to the payoff on the Great Lakes Bay region's home for sports. Yeah, everybody looks good at home. Sports Radio 100.9, The Mitt. 989-837-6125. I think that was the greatest experience I've ever had watching a football game. And I'm going to take my fandom out of it for a second. Just what the Rose Bowl means. With how much college football is changing, going to a 12-team playoff, all of a sudden this Washington Michigan National Championship is a Big Ten matchup next year. There's so much change going on. Conference realignment, NIL. One thing that has always remained constant is the Rose Bowl. And the fact that Michigan fans and Alabama fans got to share this moment in that stadium. If you, do, if you haven't seen the aerial shot of the stadium in the middle of the game, it's just incredible. It is a line drawn in the sand halfway through the stadium. One side is red, one side is maize. And it is just... The most electric thing you will see. Pasadena, California. Stakes don't get higher than that. Whatever they do with college football, never get rid of the Rose Bowl. And Michigan, 
through all, all the pain that they've been through, all the things that have been said about that program, they finally come out on top. 989-837-6125. That was the experience of a lifetime. The roller coaster, up, down, up, down. From the first play to the last play, I was shaking. I had sweat going down my face. That has never happened before. I want to hear from everyone else, starting with you, Brad. How, what was your experience watching that game? Again, on the edge of my seat for really no reason. Um, I thought throughout, I was mostly concerned with the fact that it didn't seem like Michigan deserved to win the game. Um, I think at the end of the third quarter, they were uh, lacking two touchdowns in EPA and special teams. They had uh, 21 yards in the third quarter. Yeah. So it was tough. It was tough. Not only did the offense come out sluggish in the third quarter, but again, in terms of EPA, they were essentially giving up two scores. And at that point, they were down 20 to 13. So you're down 20 to 13. Uh, you're getting ready for the fourth quarter, or, you know, just started the fourth quarter. And I think it was a plus nine EPA on special teams for. Uh, Alabama and a minus four for Michigan. We knew how bad the special teams were playing. And I, I thought truly with a month prep in a big game in the Rose Bowl, this Michigan team seemingly comes out too giddy every time they play under Harbaugh in these big bowl game situations. They came out a little too energetic. We saw that 100%. With, with the early forced pick that ended up getting overturned, fortunately, for Michigan. We see it with a freshman who has been awesome all year in Morgan, uh, muff a punt. We see it again with another near-muff punt. We see it with a couple of drops in the fourth quarter where it looked like the offense was running stale. There were just some lack of discipline-type discipline, discipline type plays uh, running through the punter that should have been called in the first half. Uh, felt like deer in the headlights a little bit. Yeah, but it, but it feels like that every year. It does. Uh, in these situations with Harbaugh. And so the thought just kept creeping into my head. Look, the special teams alone, they are being dominated on that side of the ball. And when you give up that many minor inches to a Nick Saban team, I don't think you can win. And yet they were so, uh, in terms of talent, so outmatched were the Crimson Tide. And, and that was my thought coming in. I thought they were at least a touchdown more skilled than Alabama. And I thought they were probably a touchdown less skilled in the coaching department. And it ended up being a one touchdown, essentially a one-point game, a one-score game due to the overtime, uh, even though they got absolutely dominated in special teams, which you might say is like overlooked or whatever. Again, EPA thought it was like a 10-point swing throughout the game. It was. Uh, I mean, and, and it clearly could have been. The field, it was a field game. position game. That, who knows? That, play, that game never should have gone into overtime. You can say the kicks because of that. You can say Michigan could have... What, they had a minute to go on a game-winning drive if, if that last punt doesn't get muffed and they don't end up starting that drive from the one-yard line. I mean, that, that right there, it felt like, oh my gosh, they just, they just fumbled this one away. Well, two 50-plus-yard field goals in a, in a bowl game like oh that in college football. I mean, there are, there are not many NFL kickers that are putting down high-pressure, playoff situation, 50-plus-yard field goals in that environment. Uh, and so you tip your cap to that, but like... You missed, what, a 43-yarder, did you, if you're Michigan? 42, 44, whatever it was. Yeah, it was and rough. you got the other in, team. In the fourth quarter, let alone. Correct. Other team bangs home, 250s, not concerning at all. The punt game was atrocious uh, for Michigan. Horrible. Uh, Bama's uh, punter should be in the league, would be an all-pro right now. Um, it, it was really lopsided. And yet, giving up all those minor inches on an entire side of the football to a Nick Saban-led team, your talent, your grit, your determination down the stretch – uh, ends up getting you a victory. Which is why I think they're mostly the biggest reason they're four and a half point favorites against Washington going into this one. Like, you got to assume that those mistakes aren't going to happen again. 
Now, you know, you have a month to prepare. You get antsy. We've seen it time and time again, three straight years. They walk into these games and they just look nervous. It looks different than the team we saw all season long. And that was the case to start the game. They had to shake off the cobwebs. Credit to Jim Harbaugh, who continued to trust JJ, even with that scary start. And not to mention uh, Samaje Morgan, who, yeah, muffed the punt early, but was a key part of the success of that team the rest of the way. I think it's, like you said, a credit to the talent on this team. You don't usually get second chances, third chances, fourth chances against teams coached by Nick Saban. Yeah, really just outside of self-inflicted wounds, Michigan dominated this game, even from the first touchdown that Alabama had when they ran it in. I mean, they, they got gifted that ball at the, what, 30-yard line to start the game. So it's, it's a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Michigan goes into this one two-and-a-half-point favorites. I mean, it was one-and-a-half forever. For a month leading up to this game, it was a one-and-a-half-point spread. And, you know, morning of, it moves up to two. By tip-off, or, or by kickoff, it's two-and-a-half, even though the public was heavy on Alabama. Looking back at that spread, it should have been higher. I mean, Michigan was just clearly the better team. If you don't have two muffed punts and two missed kicks, <laughs> this might be a 10-point game. So just a huge credit to all the Michigan players battling through adversity throughout the game. The fact that they still were able to you know, come out on top despite all the special teams' mistakes. And, and a third quarter that was pretty uninspiring. A third quarter that you just got out-coached, really, with the halftime adjustments, in my opinion. And that's where we can uh, get right into the coaching grades. So let's get this thing started. We got some music. Music, please. There it is. All right. All right. Victory Tuesday. Doesn't happen very often. Let's rock it. Brad, you can give your opinions on this, too. I want to hear from everyone. 989-837-6125. We'll get to the text line next. But let's go through some player and coaching grades first. Let's start things off with Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to give him a B. He trusted JJ early despite the pick. Positive. Got Samaje Morgan involved after his muff punt. Positive. Trusts his players. I thought that fourth down call and the final drive of regulation, well, the second to the last drive if you count that weird kneel out drive. The fourth down call to Blake Corum was excellent. Put his chips on the table. And he just takes zero responsibility for any credit, any team success. Unlike Dabble Sweeney, Brian Kelly. He puts it all on the players. I love it. Some of the bad things he did. Uh, Alex Orgy, please stop playing him. For the love of God, don't play Alex Orgy in the championship. 13 snaps this season, 13 quarterback runs. No need for trick plays. I really don't need to see any more of those. I think they would have won that game with or without him. Second half adjustments were terrible. 23 yards in the third quarter. Zero first downs. And what was that timeout at the end of the game? What was, what was that timeout, Brad? I, I, we never got an explanation behind that. On, on third down or whatever after the kneel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, to me, it was just a, a miscommunication in some way between them and the officials. I mean, ultimately, it didn't hurt them, but I mean... You imagine, weird. you imagine you lose another offensive lineman in that. Yeah. You imagine you accidentally get pushed back and the knee falls a half inch onto the white line of the touch line. I mean, you never know. Well, even that first first down, they would line up in the shotgun and give it to Blake Corum. That was terrifying. Oh, safety ruins that game. Uh, the only other thing I can knock Jim Harbaugh for is hiring his brother Jay Harbaugh as the special teams coordinator. 
This guy gets an F. <laughs> Fire him immediately. I don't care if Thanksgiving's awkward in 2024. Get rid of Jay Harbaugh. That is inexcusable. Two missed field goal or a missed field goal, mixed P, missed PAT, and two muffed punts. And on that second muffed punt, who was that? No one had ever seen that guy all season long. I give him an F, and I don't think there's a, a really another option on that one uh, for special teams coordinator Jay Harbaugh. How about Sharon Moore, offensive coordinator? Um, remember that narrative that Michigan was saving their plays in Penn State? I kind of said that's that's ridiculous. Nobody saves their plays. You're trying to win games because they kept running it over and over and over again. In that Penn State game, J.J. McCarthy only threw the ball eight times. No, that's literally what they did. <laughs> they, they did save their plays because they come into this game and rather than running this heavy 12-man personnel with the two tight ends, the run-it-down-your-throat type of game we've seen all, all season long, we spread it out. There's, there's way more receivers on the field. There's less two tight end sets. Alabama didn't have as much film on that kind of stuff and that worked in favor of Michigan because then towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter and in overtime, you could rely a little bit more on the 12-man personnel. The pre-stat motions were fantastic. They caused chaos. Blake's first touchdown. Uh, Blake's first down on the fourth down. Wilson's regulation. Uh, uh, the overtime touchdown. Like, everything he did was fantastic. Only con I have on Sharon Moore, the reason he's not getting an A or an A+. Plus, second half adjustments. Uh, they had 41 total yards before that last drive of regulation. Bad. Uh, Jesse Minter, defensive coordinator. I think he's the MVP of this game. Six sacks for the Michigan Wolverines. 50 yards Alabama lost in terms of sack yards. The X factor is taken away from the game. Jalen Milrow was 16 for 23. 116 yards. Kept him out of the end zone, both through the air and on his feet. Even had a turnover. He never broke a long one. I know he, had fin he finished with 63 rushing yards, but he never broke a, a long run. They kept the interior in pressure coming. They kept him moving backwards, which just kind of took him away. The disguise blitzes, like I said, reminded me a lot of Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, who also, I mean, you guys know where he came from, right? Before he was the Ravens coach or defensive coordinator, he was Michigan's defensive coordinator. Ironically, they never overlapped at Michigan, but they did in Baltimore. They did in Baltimore. Uh, cons for Jesse Minter. The only time I was ever nervous was the first drive of the third quarter. And I mean nervous defensively. The third quarter, Bama's marching. Felt like they were running downhill. And then two straight bad snaps, and all of a sudden they were punting again. So self-inflicted wounds there as well. That was weird. How do you go 14 weeks, Brad, and not, not have your, your center snapping situation figured out? That was, that was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the last snap, too, like you, you were talking about. I mean, there were, there were probably eight, nine snaps in the game where I just, like, looked at the TV and said, man, that doesn't seem right. And that was before it being it was started to be put out. Like, before the television broadcast started talking about it, I thought it was an issue in particular in Shotgun, where he was really, really struggling. That cost them the game to me. The one drive where they were sacked twice because of the bad snaps that then were put on Jalen Milrow. I mean, I... That was just as big as anything. It was horrible. Hey, weird. Um, Self-inflicted wounds everywhere in this game. Just a high-intensity game. Blake Corum, I'm giving him an A. Wasn't on the stat sheet as much. Not high volume, but he had the first touchdown. He had the last touchdown. His over-under was 82.5 yards. Can't be mad at him. Finished with 83. Relatively quiet, 
but responsible for three of the five most important plays of the game. Still two touchdowns. Didn't pound the rock as much. Showed they can let it fly a little bit. Now Washington, they got to be ready for anything. And of course, J.J. McCarthy. I'm going to give him an A-. It was not an excellent game from the start to the finish for J.J., but he made every play he had to make. And I don't even mean that figuratively. I mean that in a literal sense. He was 17 for 27. If he's 16 for 27, I don't know if he, Michigan wins that game. The last drive of regulation, if you, if you don't count that kneel-out drive, third and second incomplete pass, fourth and two, uh, gets the first down to Blake Corum. Then he has a 16-yard run. Then he has the 29-yard completion of Roman Wilson. Then the touchdown to Roman Wilson. Four yards. He doesn't complete one of those passes. Like He brought that meaning, he brought that sentence to the literal definition of it. Down to the wire. He only had one more incomplete pass to make, and he made it, which has been the story of his career at Michigan. I want to keep this J.J. McCarthy conversation rolling. 989-837-6125. How good is J.J. McCarthy? Hmm? Good enough. That's next on the payoff fueled by Forward Energy. More of the Great Lakes Bay region's only local sports show. Back to the payoff. And I've said it before, but this is right here. This is, this is the greatest quarterback in University of Michigan football, college football history. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Greatest quarterback in Michigan college football history. That's a pretty bold statement from head coach Jim Harbaugh, but he was backed up by none other than Tom Brady, who commented on it, said he's absolutely right. Go blue. Listen, J.J. McCarthy's record as the Michigan quarterback, now 25-1. and There's only two college quarterbacks that have a better win percentage than that with a minimum of 25 games. People will tend to ask, well, is J.J. McCarthy really good enough? Yes. Yeah, absolutely he is. The fact that this is even a question is nonsense. It's nonsense. And if you disagree with me, I invite a conversation. 989-837-6125. It's the Frick Sports Bar text line. We'll get to Jeremy right now. Uh, This was half as much fun as the Ohio State win. Fun, but not the same. (laughs) Jeremy, we've seen them beat Ohio State three times in the last three years. Yeah, they only have one Rose Bowl win. How, how, I, I give up on this argument. That's been an ongoing uh, back and forth for quite some time. Quite some time. Uh, backbone of the story, Jeremy thinks the Ohio State win is going to be better than the national championship, however this goes. I strongly disagree, but that's just me. Uh, 989-837-6125. I missed you, Jeremy. Um, JJ McCarthy though, listen, he's the five-star quarterback from Illinois. Ohio state rejects the kid. So he comes to Michigan six, three, two Oh five. Maybe he's a little bit undersized, but he's really the complete package. Great pocket awareness, accurate passer can throw on the run. Doesn't put the ball in harm's way. He's had four picks all season, and three of them came in the same game. It was against Bowling Green. He's thrown one interception in the last 11 games. He sets his receivers up to succeed. He can run the football. He does it all. 
And that doesn't even really get into the intangibles that this guy brings. He's an incredible leader. Teammates love him. He'll never take credit for anything. Coach loves him. Would never say a bad word about the coach, the program. Completely drama-free, 100% bought in. Never any off-the-field issues. Never any complaining. No controversy. Shows up week in, week out. First guy there, last guy to leave. He's a little corny. Who cares? He shows up over and over again when, when Michigan needs him the most. And he's a winner. He's 25-1. and one. There's a ridiculous narrative that J.J. McCarthy doesn't belong in the top list of college football quarterbacks. The Caleb Williams of the world. The Michael Penixes. The Jaden Daniels. First of all, no one said J.J. McCarthy was as good as any of those guys. But people, for some reason, compare J.J. McCarthy's stats and say, well, J.J. doesn't rack up the yards or the touchdowns that those guys do. Cool. He wins games. And that's all I care about. I don't care if he brings in the Heisman or not. As a fan, you want your team to win games. If he was better, Michigan would pass the ball more. Hear that one, too. Michigan has the best offensive line in the country and the nation's leading rushing touchdown getter in Blake Corum. It doesn't take an Einstein to know you should probably lean on that. Well, then he is a system quarterback. He's comfortable running the system, but you guys see the throws he makes on the run. Or how about that trick play with the one-handed catch, still able to get the pass off, pick up 20 yards as he's getting clotheslined by someone on the roll tide. Is that a good enough highlight for you? System quarterbacks aren't doing that. So next time someone tells you, well, JJ isn't good, here's what you tell him. Well, he's good enough. And then you move on. If they want to keep arguing it, let them talk to a wall. Whatever the conversation's about, he's good enough. JJ's not one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, he is. He's good enough. He's not going to be a great NFL quarterback. Why not? He's been good enough. Michigan can't get into a shootout because the offense isn't explosive behind JJ. Yeah, but they'll be good enough. He did it against Ohio State in 2022. 45 points they scored. And who did he outduel at quarterback? Huh. C.J. Stroud? The NFL Rookie of the Year? Offensively? Beat him head-to-head. He's 25-1, and guys. No challenge has ever been too much for him. Even the one loss he has. Michigan scored 45 points against TCU in the playoff game. He had 340-plus yards. Career high. Yeah, I know he had the two picks. I know. But they lost that game because they couldn't get stops. That's really the only reason they lost the game. I don't know how you can get mad at the quarterback if they scored 45 points. So plain and simple, he wins next Monday. And I think he's the best quarterback to ever wear the maize and blue. He wins next Monday, and I think he's a first-round pick. I don't really understand anymore the people who, he's he's not good enough. Uh, He's good enough. He is good enough. Good enough to go undefeated two straight seasons. Good enough to get you into the college football playoffs two straight seasons. Beat Ohio State two straight seasons. He's good enough to go on a game-winning drive when the offense has been a zero for the entire half. Zero! 
They had 41 yards in the second half before that last drive he put together. And he made every throw he had to, which has been the story of J.J. McCarthy's career at Michigan. J.J. McCarthy's not throwing for 400 yards like Michael Penix is. Not having five touchdown games like Caleb Williams is. Just not happening. But every time Michigan has asked him to step up, guess what he does? Steps up to the plate and hits a home run. Every time. Maybe he's not doing it in the volume that Caleb Williams and Michael Penix are doing and Jaden Daniels. He's not a stat machine. But what he is is a winner. And there's just no way around that anymore. Hey, he threw for 150 yards. Hey. He's the complete package. What doesn't he do well? The only thing you can really ding him on is being 205 pounds. If you want to call him too small, go for it. <laughs> sure. Uh, Bryce Young was small. Sure. Whatever, man. But this narrative that JJ's not up to par with some of these other guys is ridiculous. And here's the other thing I don't get about that narrative. JJ McCarthy's best wide receiver is Roman Wilson. And that is nothing. It, it, this isn't a knock on Roman Wilson, but all these other guys, Caleb Williams, Jane Daniels, Michael Penix, I keep bringing up those three guys because those are the consensus top three picks as of right now or top three quarterback picks, those guys all have NFL receivers on their team. J.J. McCarthy doesn't. What does J.J. McCarthy look like if he has neighbors on the team, the LSU guy? These guys aren't first-round picks. Roman Wilson's not a first-round pick. He had Schoonmaker. Congratulations. You get a tight end. Real fun. But everything J.J. McCarthy has done at Michigan has been because... He has trust in the program, and the program has trust on him. Kay McNamara is not going for that super long, what, 70-yard drive to go tie the game up and force overtime. It's just not happening. That was the reason Michigan couldn't get over the hump. Clemson made it a bunch of times to the college football playoffs. Guess what got them over the hump? Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. They got over the hump when they got the great quarterback. Michigan got their great quarterback. You want to know what the difference is between this year's team and last year's team? J.J. McCarthy got better. Every time they ask him to step up, knocks it out of the park. Jeff from Midland chiming in on the Frick Sports Bar text line, 989-837-6125. J.J. McCarthy is Jared Goff of college football. Good, not great. Makes just enough plays to get the job done and can dial it up when he, need it, when he needs to at the end of a game. Sometimes I, I kind of agree with some of the things you say, but, but not all of them. Uh, Jared Goff, I, I've said this a couple times on the show, is the most immobile quarterback in the NFL. Unless you're considering Ryan Tannehill a new starter, or I, I guess Joe Flacco's a starter now, a good one. Jared Goff's one of the three, four slowest, most immobile quarterbacks in the NFL. I get what you're saying. They, they run a system really well. When you ask them to step up, they typically do. But J.J. doesn't really the whole season outside of the Bowling Green game where they, they won handedly anyway, doesn't really make the mistakes, the boneheaded stuff that Jared Goff does. And granted, going against NFL defenses is a lot harder. But again, let's, let's remember, J.J. McCarthy doesn't have wide receivers getting naked open like some of these other top-tier college football quarterbacks do. 
Jared Goff's got a monorail. And, and sure, I, I guess that's that's an all right comparison. But what J.J. McCarthy's doing on the run, his athleticism, I mean, when the game was on the line, what'd they do? They started dialing up blitz, or not blitzes, they started dialing up designed runs for J.J. McCarthy. The Lions, it's like, all right, Jared Goff, J.J. McCarthy argument, or not argument, comparison, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's vetoed, it's nullified after you see what J.J. McCarthy can do on the ground. They dial up runs for him. Oh my God, the Lions would never even consider doing that for Goff, ever. Jay from Gladwin, J.J. is the next Trevor Lawrence. He'll be a solid NFL quarterback for a long time. He has the talent and more importantly, the football IQ that makes a solid career. That's a great, com- yeah. I mean, maybe he doesn't have the physical traits Lawrence does. Lawrence is like 6'6", huge frame. JJ's a li- not even really that undersized. He's 6'3". I guess he could put on a few more pounds. Doesn't have the broad shoulders, the big arms. But he can throw the deep ball just as good as anybody else. But I like the IQ comparison. They can both run. You don't necessarily love them doing it. Uh, Lawrence's career has been semi-disappointing, even though they might win the division uh, this upcoming week 18. But that, that's a pretty good comparison. And I, I like it especially in the college realm. Clemson got over the hump because they had Trevor Lawrence. It's the first time they had a, a five-star type player. 989-837-6125. Michigan Rose Bowl champions going to the national championship. I want to hear from you. Was that the greatest experience you've ever had watching a football game? Is J.J. McCarthy the guy at Michigan? Is he the greatest quarterback to ever go through the program? Jim Harbaugh says yes. Tom Brady says yes. I say if he wins this game on Monday in the national championship, without a doubt he is. But what do you think? 989-837-6125. We'll wrap that up and, of course, get into the Detroit Lions next. To close everything out, you're listening to The Payoff, fueled by Forward Energy. The Payoff continues more from the great lakes bay region's home for sports sports radio 100.9 the mitt say happy new year to everybody it's a great way to start the new year that's the most underrated part of yesterday's game there's like three different occasions where jim harbaugh gets in front of a microphone and in front of a camera and every time he go, he just starts it well i just want to tell everybody happy new year uh jim harbaugh are you uh are you considering taking a job in the NFL? Well, I just want to tell everybody Happy New Year. Uh, Jim, we heard you're connected to the Chargers organization. Would you consider going back to the NFL? Well, I'm just focused on what's ahead of me, and uh, I just want to say Happy New Year to everybody. Great stuff from Jim Harbaugh. We will be on Michigan the rest of the week. Got a week to prepare for the national championship the rest of this week. And then Monday, 7.30, supposed kickoff. Uh, I imagine it's closer to 8. We'll be on the air that day. We'll be here to preview the game. Uh, sure, there's lots more Jim Harbaugh conversations to be had, lots more J.J. McCarthy conversations to be had. We'll preview the matchup, but I, I need to touch on the Lions and what happened on Saturday. It was criminal. It was criminal. And there's really no way around that. I, I'm embarrassed to tell this, whereas if... I'm embarrassed to tell this because I shouldn't let, and I think there's a lot of people who can probably relate to this. You shouldn't let sports determine your mood for the foreseeable future. Like if it's affecting your life the next day, something's wrong. I had to go on a walk at 1.30 in the morning. 
1.30 a.m., I got up out of my bed and went for a walk around the neighborhood because I was so angry at what happened in Dallas. And I think there's a lot of people that can relate to that. I mean, what was presented in front of you that game? Chance to go 12-4, and two-seed on the table. You are the two-seed right now if you win that game. And you should have won that game. Crazy stuff happens in Jerry World. It always has, and it probably always will. They should have won the game. And to think to think that Dallas, there's people saying, oh, well, blaming the Lions for everything. The anger built up. The animosity. What that meant to the team. I compared it to the perfect game that got taken away from the Tigers way back when. Only this is, that was a random day in the summer. This is a primetime matchup, Saturday night, week 16. Two seed on the line. And it just gets taken away just like that. And the crazier part, what had me even more outraged than what actually happened from the officials, from Brad Allen's crew, who's now in a primetime game next week, that's ridiculous. What had me even more angry was what the NFL did to cover themselves up. Everybody knows Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport. Those are the most plugged-in guys in the NFL. Adam Schefter works for ESPN. Nobody likes him because he doesn't care about any human element of football. Then there's Ian Rappaport, who works for the NFL. He works for NFL Network. He's employed by the NFL. Roger Goodell is his boss. Maybe not directly, but... You work your way up the ladder. You work your way up the chart. You get to Roger Goodell. Ian Rappaport gets on NFL Network and has the audacity to look in front of a camera and say two outlandish things. The first thing he said was, well, the Lions, hearing that Dan Skipper was reported eligible, should have called a timeout. I'm sorry, what? You're telling me in a high-pressure situation, game on the line, crowd roaring, Dan Campbell's supposed to be listening to the PA announcer? After he told the officiating crew before the game, on a pencil and paper, drew it up like they were in kindergarten, showed the officials what they were going to do. This is how we're going to run this play. This guy's going to come out of the field late, but he's actually reporting. The Lions should have been the one to call the timeout? That's where we're spinning this? That's what the NFL is saying? That it's the Detroit Lions' fault for causing chaos and confusion in a high-pressure situation. What? This is the Lions' fault? How about your officiating crew doesn't crumble in a high-pressure situation? Now, that would be an outlandish ask. This isn't even like a a bad call. This is a screw-up. This is way worse than the pass interference that got picked up in a vacuum. Yes, that was a playoff game. But imagine if this was a playoff game. Oh, my God. There'd be people throwing rocks in Brad Allen's house. Those guys got banned from the playoffs, that whole crew. Brad Allen being the head official. Yet they're allowed to do a primetime game week 18? Under a microscope. 
under a microscope they will be. Brad Allen should never be allowed to officiate another game in the NFL. No way around that. It's one thing to have a bad call. I can forgive bad calls. They happen every week in football. But to get something that blatantly wrong, to get some, to, to, to listen to Taylor Decker and just completely lie to everyone and say, well, no, it was actually uh, Dan Skipper who reported eligible. No, it wasn't. Look at the film. Look at the tape. Every single thing would indicate otherwise. Yet they continue to sit there and lie. Here's the other thing Ian Rappaport decided to say on NFL Network. Well, if the Cowboys heard that Taylor Decker was reported eligible, if the Cowboys heard that through the PA system, being the savvy team they are, the veteran defense that they've shown they are all season, don't you think they would have covered Taylor Decker? I don't know. Don't you think they would be ready for a fake punt when Dan Gamble's on the other side of the field? They weren't ready for that. Yet, Ian Rappaport has the kahunis to say, well, first of all, Lions should have called the timeout. Second of all, the Cowboys would have stopped the play anyway. No, they wouldn't have. Like, how can you just sit here and tell me the Cowboys 100% would have stopped that play? The NFL's covering up their own mistakes. Again, they didn't, we didn't even get an apology this time. They just flat out said, nope, never happened. Taylor Decker never reported as eligible. That's such crap. Oh, that's such crap. The NFL cannot get away with this. Brad Allen should never be allowed to officiate a game again. If you're crumbling in high-pressure situations, then why are you an NFL referee? Why are you allowed to be? That's like the one thing you can't do is crumble. A bad call is one thing. To get a number blatantly wrong after Dan Campbell tells you at the beginning of the game... What they're going to do? And then they say, well, it's the Lions' fault for causing the confusion by purposely running a guy out there late. If they just run Taylor Decker over there by himself, there's a reason Panay Sewell was with him. If they run Taylor Decker over there by himself, it's like they're raising a, a, a red flag that says, hey, this guy's going out as eligible. It doesn't make sense what happened. And the fact that no one is apologizing to us is even worse. They're not only are they not apologizing, they're saying it never happened. They're saying Dan Campbell's losing his mind, that none of this ever happened. It's ridiculous. Uh, but the fact that Dan Campbell was able to spin it positively the next day, come in, comes in, does the, uh, the whole fueled fury or contained fury, I mean, what other, what other coach is able to spin that? Huge cr uh, credit to Jared Goff after the game, who comes to the podium, says, yeah, I mean, what I heard wasn't what happened in officiating, but you can't just look at one play as the reason we lost. We had a lot of opportunities to go make plays, myself included, and we didn't do that. We got to be better. Oh, they're going to take their anger out on Minnesota. And I, I can only sit and pray that the Lions get to go to Dallas again. In the playoffs, higher stakes, no Brad Allen this time, and they just destroy the Cowboys. Because we haven't even talked about the game. What a performance from the defense. Yeah, CeeDee Lamb went 
nuclear on the secondary. C.J. Gardner-Johnson will be back. And this run defense that took away everything from the Cowboys doesn't even have a Lee McNeil back yet. Those guys are both supposed to play this Sunday against the Vikings. And I know I've been saying C.J. is supposed to play for like three weeks, but Campbell confirmed it today. The boys are back. They haven't even got back James Houston yet. Uh, I think this defense is going to look a lot different. Aaron Glenn's been, really since the, the second Bears game when we went at him, for not utilizing his players correctly, really after that, he's been on one. Substituted in Ifimela Fonwu, bench Jerry Jacobs. He's been on one, dialing up the blitzes. I mean, if Aaron Glenn does end up taking a head coaching job, which there's rumors about that last year, got a couple interviews, apparently rumors about it again, it seems more plausible now. And if they do, Michigan, uh, the Lions should, should look at Jesse Minter. Running very similar things. Uh, Jay from Gladwin chiming in on the Frick Sports Bar text line, 989-837-6125. In Campbell, we trust. I love his gunslinger style. Going for, the, going for the two-point conversion was definitely the right call. No question. Was it the right call on fourth and seven? There was some controversy on that today online. Um, the guys down at the ticket, Jim Costa, Asked Dan Campbell. I actually told him straight to his face. I think that was reckless. Campbell said, thanks. Thanks for telling me. We were going going to go for it on, on uh, the two-point conversion to win the game no matter what. I'm fine with it. Because I know in my heart of hearts, they won that game on the first two-point conversion attempt. So the fact that they wanted to go for it again and win that game, I don't think you can let that game go into overtime. See the way Dallas was moving the ball at the end of that game with CeeDee Lamb? They get the ball back. They were scoring. So I have no problem, no issues with Dan Campbell going for it, especially if he told the team that. It's his style, baby. Dan Campbell, you live and die by it. Um, or you, you just die by the officials. All right, there it is. We are back. 2024 starts with a bang. Michigan, winners of the Rose Bowl, playing in the national championship. This Monday, the Lions already in the playoffs. How nice is that? We're going to be back here tomorrow, 6 o'clock. We're here the rest of the week. We'll be back next week. Let's have a great year, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Happy New Year from 100.9 The Mitt. That was the payoff, and I hope it was worth it. Let's say Happy New Year to everybody. It's a great way to start the new year.